Good day to you ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Film Focus episode 95, the top 10 films of 2019. Gentlemen of the North, South, East, and West, and welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, the Hypersonic 55, and I'm glad you decided to join me once again for some film related discussion. And Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. It is currently 2020. Yeah, man, we made it. Woo, hype, and all that jazz. Um, and what are we going to do for the start of this brand new year? We're going to go back and do the top 10 films of 2019 because we're weird like that. But no, in all seriousness, though accumulating this list and then trying to get it out on time proved to be one of the trickiest things I've ended up having to do um, on this podcast just because the month of December was one of the busiest ones I've had for a while now and I just had so much stuff going on with personal projects work and trying to do like uh, stuff for the podcast and watch films trying to watch films in December 2019 was just a mess I only got to see a handful of films and there was a good chunk of films not only in that month but back in November and October as well that I really wanted to watch but it was just so time sensitive I just didn't have the bloody time and while I had accumulated my list for my top 10 films by the end of December there was a couple films I hadn't seen and I really just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to have to retroactively change some of my choices I want this I wanted the list to be definitive and it was close but I was like you know what let me go back and watch a few of these films. So that's why I had an opportunity to go back and have these done by like, you know, New Year's Eve. But I decided to watch one more film just to be safe. And wouldn't you know it, the list changed. So I'm glad I got around to doing it. So that's why this list is late. So yeah, hopefully this is still something that you guys will want to listen to. Uh, because I believe that my list is pretty good. And it features certain things that, if you know me, is typical of the kind of stuff that I like. But there are a few things on there that I didn't expect to like. And it's always nice when you end up having a list that has a amalgamation of things that you wanted, but things that you didn't know you wanted until you saw it. So you're just like, ooh and ah, I like a little bit of that. So yeah, my list is a pretty nice one. So we're going to go, obviously, from 10 to 1. And yeah, just go from there. But before we get into the top 10 list, I wanted to bring out my honorable mentions because 2019, while I don't think it was that strong of a year and I think it was actually weaker than the previous year, and I feel like I find myself saying that a lot with each new year that keeps coming by, it still had like some pretty cool stuff in there. And there were a few films at one point or another that were on my list for various different reasons. So I'm just gonna go through my list right now. So the first one may be a controversial pick, but I have to say, The Irishman, I enjoyed, but it wasn't this sort of critically acclaimed, amazing film that everyone was going on about. Now, here's the thing, I did appreciate the film, I thought it was very engaging, really well acted, everybody in the movie was really good, from Al Pacino to De Niro to Pesci, and like, you know, was it even a couple other people that I'd seen in various other TV shows and films made appearances, which was really good. My boy Bobby Cannavale, who I really love from uh, Boardwalk Empire, and obviously he was recently in the Ant-Man movies. 
that guy is always good. So when I saw him in this film, I'm like, oh my god, I didn't even know you're gonna be here. Love that dude. And Stephen Graham, my dude. Again, one of my favorite people from Boardwalk Empire. That guy has shown up in so many things since then. And he was brilliant in the movie as well. He was really good. Everybody in the movie was really good. The violence was intense. There was some really good tension and just a lot of surprises going on in the movie. And obviously, there was all the talk about the de-aging technology that they use in the movie. And some people saying it's the best that they've ever seen. And for me, I would say it was about mm, 80 to 90% clean. It looked really good. You can see where it went and it looked really clean in certain moments. But then there was other times looking at this, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't quite look right. And I'm not sure what kind of de-aging they were going for, but there were certain moments where you could tell that the actors, when they were being DA, still just move like, you know, older versions of themselves. So it was kind of hard to tell how young they were supposed to be, especially with some of their faces sort of looking fairly similar to each other. Um, and yeah, sometimes you could just see some of the digital effects when, especially on the heads, the way their heads moved in certain lighting and stuff, I'm like, nah, that ain't 100% clean. Don't, don't be lying about that. But yeah, The Irishman was fun, but again, it just wasn't like for me. I guess I just don't have this super massive attachment to mob movies that everybody else does. So yeah, maybe that's it. So, you know, hate me if you want, but I thought The Irishman was something to be appreciated but something that I did love personally. Now I'm going to add the next controversial pick on the list because everybody bombed the hell out of this movie when it came out and that's the Joker. Now if you listen to my original review I was fairly like um, surprised and you know taken back and a little disturbed by the Joker movie. I guess I was the only one or at least the only one within a certain sector because everyone else seemed to love this movie like it was you know the best thing since uh, sliced bread. They said it changed the game, that superhero films should be like, you know, more like this. And I felt like I was reliving the Dark Knight again because, again, don't get me wrong, I like when you can take something in a genre that's been, you know, done fairly well, but also, you know, fairly consistent and sometimes a little dull from time to time and then like do something new with it. And the thing about The Joker is that it's a good movie, it has some interesting things to say, it's shot well, has a really good film score, the central performance from uh, Walking Phoenix is amazing, and there are some really great moments in that movie, but there wasn't anything that I saw in that movie that I haven't seen in certain other ones. I think just because it was presented in a superhero film and had certain issues that were relatable today, people really gravitated towards that. And I'm not saying that if you like the film, you shouldn't like it. Everyone is entitled to like what they like. But for me, Joker was good, but it didn't really feel like a superhero film or like a comic book film. And I know in some cases, some people will say that's the point. But at the same time, I mean, for me, my favorite kind of superhero films are the ones that, you know, I wouldn't say it adheres to the superhero, like, you know, uh, lore, but it takes that, but can do something different with it. And if you were to take away the clown makeup and the Batman references, this would be just another sort of uh, drama with, you know, certain things that you've seen in other movies beforehand. And I'm not going to bitch about the movie because that's not what I'm saying at all. I thought it was impressive. It just didn't do anything for me specifically. But yeah, I know everybody's treating this film like it's the second coming of Christ. And I'm just like, oh, good Lord. So the main thing that I took away from the Joker movie, which I really liked, was that 
this was a different take on the character in a di very different kind of setting. So it was like an Elseworlds slash what if situation. So you can apply that to several other superhero properties going ahead. And I would like to see that kind of variation in the superhero genre because we've seen superhero origin stories and several different other types of superheroing adventures. And variation is the key to survival. And this film demonstrates that you can change things up and people will accept it if you have the right kind of material. Now, while that material wasn't entirely, you know, great for me, it worked for a lot of people. So as long as Hollywood takes the right kind of ideas from Joker and then applies it to these new films, it'd be fun. But I'm not sure because they tried that before. and We saw what happened with like that whole dark era of like superhero films after uh, The Dark Knight and Watchmen came out. But, you know, that's another conversation for another time. Okay, the other film that was literally just in my top 10 but just got bumped out was Dolomite Is My Name. I had been looking forward to this film for a while just because Eddie Murphy is one of my all-time favorite people. Just in terms of his humor and just like his acting. And he's been absent from Hollywood for a while now. And there was just that horrible period where after just doing like... Um, Dreamgirls, which is the only notable, like, you know, dramatic role he'd done for a while. He just did all these dumb comedic films, and it's just like, Eddie, we know that you're better than this. Give us something different. And finally, after all these years, he did this biopic, and it was really good. This was Eddie Murphy on top form, providing the humor, charisma, charm, and magnetism that we know him for, but he also has, like, you know, that good, serious, and dramatic side of him. Everybody else in the cast was great. It was an interesting story to see how, like, you know, uh, Dolomite came to be. How we went from just being this sort of underground thing that a lot of black people like to trying to spread his wings into the film industry and seeing the hardships that he had to go through to try and make that film happen. Everybody in the film was fun. It was such a rude, in-your-face, fun kind of movie. I, I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, like, give it a watch. I know it's one of those sort of Netflix related movies and some people don't give those the time of day but this is honestly a really good one. 21 Bridges with Chadwick Boseman was a pretty fun movie. It had a unique concept, people in the film were good, there was some good action in there and uh, while the ending did get a little strange, um, I didn't expect it to go in that direction, it was still an enjoyable movie. Uh, Detective Pikachu which I still think is the best video game film we have so far, even though I technically have a little bit of Pokemon uh, biased. It was just a film that ended up being better than I expected. The way in which they made these realistic versions of Pokemon was really cool. And yeah, like uh, Ryan Reynolds' as, uh, Pikachu was pretty fun. It was a fun movie, you know? And if they make a sequel, yeah, sure, let's do it. Elite Battle Angel. That film I was very skeptical about, but when I ended up seeing it, it was so fun. It was fun, unique, the CGI and, you know, special effects used for Alita was pretty cool and it just had a very interesting world. There was just a few things they did with the character in that ending where I'm just like, hmm, I don't quite agree with that. I would like to see that film get a sequel, but I'm not sure. And then there's Promare. This was a pretty interesting anime movie with some really cool animation and it was done by Studio Trigger. And it just has some really great over-the-top action sequences, really fun, charismatic characters who had like, you know, sort of opposing opinions but then had to come together to like, you know, fight this greater threat. It has some really great colors and the, the camera work 
done through the 2D animation and the fusion of 3D, it was done so well and seamlessly and I'm not a fan of like the blending of 2D and 3D animation just because most times it's always so glaring where these two sort of intersect and it just doesn't look as clean but Studio Trigger with this film they were able to blend them to the point where even when you could tell the 3D animation was happening it didn't look as ugly as some of these other movies that's tried to do it so in the world of anime they're actually starting to blend this stuff a lot better and the film was just fun it was really silly and it had like a lot of heart to it at certain points as well so premiere is good a film and then there's a uh, Godzilla King of Monsters King of the Monsters should I say that film was just dumb fun the fact that they were able to get uh, you know the film score to utilize the original Godzilla theme the fact that you got to see all these classic monsters in like you know super fancy 3d you know with the all new CGI and all that kind of stuff and even though the cast were bloody useless and a number of them actually did a lot of foolish things especially Vera Farmiga's character who uh, if you've seen the film you know what I'm going on about but yeah I think some of the people did pretty well like uh, Carl Chandler and uh, Millie Bobby Brown but yeah the film was fun it's weird because there's things about the new one I like more so than the old Godzilla but then at the same time there's things about the 2014 one I like more than this but you know if you're a monster you know fighting fan then like you know this kind of kaiju on kaiju battling definitely has more of that as opposed to the 2014 version and finally we have Spider-Man Far From Home a sequel that I quite liked now I know some people like don't like this version of Spider-Man just because oh he's too young oh everything for him is made by Tony Stark oh he, he's just too attached to the uh, MCU bleh. and you know some of those points are valid but at the same time the film was just really fun I thought it had its heart at the right place it was great to see the uh, continuing story of uh, Peter Parker post Avengers and then you know just back in his own little world Seeing the introduction of Mysterio and seeing how well they handled his character was great. Jake Gyllenhaal was so fun. And this film features some of my favorite action scenes with Spider-Man. And I thought the film score by Michael Giacchino was a lot better than like the first one. Just because it had a little bit more presence. Especially towards the final act of the movie with all the crazy action sequences going on. But yeah, the trip around Europe was really fun. The character interaction was good. Some of the humor in there was just so fun and stupid uh so yeah no spider-man far from home was fun it just wasn't as fun as some of the extra films that ended up on the top 10 so without further ado let's jump into the actual top 10 films of last year all right so at number 10 we have knives out a film i was very much looking forward to because it was ryan johnson he had assembled this really crazy cast of people and it was like a murder mystery thing and the film ended up being really really good I was entertained the cast were incredible especially Anna de Armas, Daniel Craig and Chris Evans everybody put in 100% the film had a nice balance between humor and seriousness and trying to figure out the mystery as it was going on it just unfolded in like you know familiar yet like unexpected kind of ways and the way in which things wrapped up you just like oh okay the film zigged when you expected it to zag and it was just quite fun now I know there's a lot of people that really enjoy this film and they say it's like their film of the year and I can understand that but for me it just didn't resonate with me on that top level there's just a few films higher up on this list that just speak to me a little bit more and even if you're one of those sort of Ryan Johnson haters this is him and his element so you should go back and give this film a watch and at number 9 we have John Wick Chapter 3 now I know there's some people that's just like oh John Wick was never good after the first movie 
Why are they trying to expand the world? Oh, I don't like what they're doing with the John Wick character. I'm like, just shut up, man. Like I said in my review, it's very rare these days that you get an action franchise that's able to, you know, build upon the last one and expand into this world where there's rules and different locations and all this sort of mythology and lore. And the fact that this is an original franchise that gets to expand in this kind of manner just pleases me greatly because again besides established action franchises or ones that's based on superhero properties there's not many of them and i'm just enjoying seeing keanu reeves in something that i like again because i'm not gonna lie like you know was it keanu reeves was one of those guys i really loved in the 90s slash early 2000s then he started doing all these films i didn't care about so i'm just like nah every time i saw like you know keanu reeves after that i'm like what are you doing mate what are you doing but then he started showing up with these John Wick movies and slowly but surely he's been having this sort of renaissance era with everybody. And now it's just great to love him in these films and it's just so good. The action in this last one was insane with so many cool things done with guns and you know the general hand to hand combat and that thing with the book and there were dogs. And it was just shot so well. The, all the people we went up against, whether they be established people or you know just people for the film, was really cool. It was great to see a film with Halle Berry kicking ass and you know just being a, an enjoyable film with her in there again. There was just some really cool stuff going on with this movie, and I loved the hell out of it. Now there were certain things towards the end where I'm just like, what? You're really going in this direction, but at the same time, I'm just like, you know what? Screw it. Bring on the sequel. I'm down. John Wick Chapter 3, if you're a fan of well-choreographed action sequences, then you owe it to yourself to give this one a watch. So at number 8 we have El Camino. So this is essentially the story that's told about Jesse Pickman's life after the end of Breaking Bad. Now, Breaking Bad is one of my all-time favorite TV shows, although re-watching it the second time round, I found it a lot more frustrating just because seeing Walter White get up to all the stuff that he did, whether it be like good, bad, or indifferent in the way he treats people, I was way more frustrated with him the second time round. Um, but yeah, Jesse Pinkman obviously is the hero of the show. He goes through so much stuff and then in my head canon after Breaking Bad ended, he basically drove off to go into the Need for Speed film. And I know a lot of people like crap on that movie, but I thought it was fun. It wasn't great, but it was still fun. But in this film, we basically see what happened immediately after what happened at the end of Breaking Bad. We get to revisit some characters, some new, some old. And, you know, we hop about in time a little bit. But yeah, you really get to see what was going on with Jesse during certain points in time and what's happening with him now. And the film looks really, really good. Very clean. Uh, it's well directed, has that same consistent tone. Some of the moments with uh, Jesse, especially with Badger and Skinny Pete, are beautiful. And yeah, just Aaron Paul is so good in this film. And seeing the stuff that Jesse had to endure, it's so painful but it's done so well. The film was really good. And while it wasn't essential for me, the more that I thought about it since the film came out, it's just one of the sort of things that just, it adds to the overall Breaking Bad experience and just makes you feel more for Jesse. And the cool thing is, I'm not gonna ruin the ending, but let's just say that my head canon about like, you know, where Jesse ends up after this film is over still fits. So I'm still very happy about that. But El Camino, give it a watch, it's some good stuff. And then at number 7 we have Doctor Sleep, a film that wasn't even on my radar at all. Now here's the thing, you know, The Shining is one of the sort of films I think I've seen twice. And I appreciate it for what it is, but I just don't love it like everyone else does. So when there was this talk about this sequel, I'm like, eh, you know, 
I'm interested, I guess, but I, I don't feel the need. And then Ewan McGregor was attached, and I'm like, ooh, okay, you have my attention now. But even then, I still was looking at the trailers, and I'm just like, this is cool. I like some of the cast members involved, especially like Rebecca Ferguson, but I'm like, eh. But then my uncle told me that he saw it, and then he really liked it. And while there was differing opinions about the quality of the movie when it initially came out, my uncle's like opinion on it swayed me to give it a watch and you know it ended up being one of my favorites man it was just a really interesting story to be told after like you know the shining ended there was some interesting stuff that we learned about like you know some of these uh, individuals with the ability to shine and seeing where the story went how dark and troubled it was and some of the callbacks to the uh, first film were good Ewan McGregor was great Rebecca Ferguson was so good and I don't know the name of the girl who uh, Danny has to interact with in the film, but she was great in the film. It was just some really nice, smart, well-executed, creepy stuff going on. And yeah, it was some good stuff, man. I enjoyed it. And then at number six, you have Ford v. Ferrari. Uh, another film that was sort of on my radar, but not so much. I was just interested in this film because it was the next film from James Mangold, who obviously had done Logan before this. And I thought that film was really well done. I'm not really the biggest fan of like, you know, uh, racing films, but this one was really well executed because I liked the story involving, you know, Christian uh, Bell's character, seeing the sort of uh, stuff that he had to endure and how like, you know, him and Matt Damon had to go about and create like a super fast car to compete in like, you know, racing and stuff. It was just really well done. The uh, shots of the driving stuff was pretty fast, intense, really well done. The music was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, Matt Damon and Christian Bell, they work really well together. They're two obviously well-established actors and you shouldn't expect anything less from those guys, but they did really well. It was always good to see uh, John Bernthal in a film because I like that guy. And yeah, it was just really well executed. I quite enjoyed that film a lot. Alright, and now we have How to Train a Dragon 3. Now, I saw this film fairly late. I think it was like, what, the late side of February, maybe early March? But man, I did not expect to feel like the way in which I did. Because How to Train a Dragon, the first one, everybody gushed about how good that film was. So I saw that one just before the second one came out. I'm like, oh, it was good. I see why people like it. But the second film, holy Christ. I think that second one came out in 2014. And it was one of the most emotional experiences because there's a moment between like two characters in that film where I'm just like oh, my heart I'm feeling emotions I don't want to feel them and the same rule applies with this film while the villain wasn't as impressive as the last film this new one has a whole lot of interesting things going on with us discovering like you know that new layer of dragons the color scheme getting even more intense and colorful and vivid than it was the last time some really great character development for all the people involved and to see Toothless try to hook up with the white like Night Fury, that was pretty interesting as well. But yeah, the animation was solid, the soundtrack was good, and the end of the movie, good lord, I felt emotions. It's one of the best trilogies now. It can be put up there with Toy Story and the Bourne films and the Lord of the Rings ones as well. And yes, I said trilogies. The other entries in those films just doesn't exist. Moving on. And now we have the newest entry in my top 10, Ip Man 4. Now for those who aren't aware, the martial arts genre when it comes to films is some of my favorite stuff ever. And Ip Man is also, the first one at least, is in my top 50 films of all time. 
I saw Ip Man, I think, for the first time in maybe 2011, maybe 2012. It was fairly late after the uh, first two films had come along, but Ip Man, the first one, really changed my world in terms of how martial art films can be depicted with a great level of drama seriousness based on true events, but with a little bit of, like, you know, dramatic changes and stuff changed for film, but, you know, with a great amount of impact. It's fighting with purpose. And Ip Man 4, good lord, it was so good. This film was exactly what I wanted. It advanced, like, the Ip Man story, told a new interesting tale that, like, you know, took place partly in um, China, but also in America. And it continued the things that were, you know, recurring with the previous films, dealing with, like, you know, immigration, racial stuff, and, you know, trying to find your place in the world and dealing with certain family issues as well. And while some of the racial stuff from the Americans is heavy-handed, at the same time, I assume that, you know, it probably was pretty bad in that kind of way, although some of the acting in that department can be a little cheesy and, like, you know, a little over the top. But the film had heart, it had humor, and, yeah, it was such a satisfying way to close off the series. And, of course, when it comes to the martial arts, it was on point. This is fighting with purpose. So yeah, one of my favorite things to see in a martial arts film is what are the reasons why these people are fighting? Because the intent behind the fight will really enhance your like, you know, is it viewing experience? And the Ip Man films have always done a great job of like, you know, not just doing action for the sake of action, but when these people fight, they're doing it for a purpose, whether they're defending themselves, defending their country, or like, you know, is it trying to get out of a bad situation? Every action sequence has purpose, and that is the same case for this film. We get to see Ip Man go in and wreck shop with certain people. We get to see other people do hand-to-hand combat, and every punch and kick is delivered, it's precise, it looks good, it's filmed well, there's barely any cuts, and when cuts are used, is utilized properly. There's some really great camera work where they track all these camera angles, and it's just insane. It's just so well done. And the sound effects when they hit, oh, you can feel it. So when people get messed up, they get messed up. You can hear the crunches, the punches, every impact. You're just like, oh, bloody hell. It's so good. And It Man just has so many moments to shine. Donnie Yen, oh, just my dude. I'm so glad I got to be in his presence and meet him at like that convention a couple years ago because he is so amazing. And the dude that they got to play Bruce Lee in the movie was so good as well. He was really, really aces. He had a lot of those great mannerisms down. And his action sequence in like uh, this one fight in America. Ooh, good lord. So yeah, the film was so good. And the film score was fantastic. Continuing the things that were used in the previous films, but utilizing it in a great way where it just enhances all the action on the screen. It Man for is bloody great and if you are any kind of martial arts fan i implore you to watch this because some of this stuff is some of the most well executed action i've seen ever done and then we move on to one piece stampede which is my number three choice now one piece if you didn't know already is my favorite all-time anime and when i found that this film was getting a release in canada i ran at the chance to try and see this film so i saw it at the late side of october and it was just so good. It was essentially the sort of Avengers Infinity War slash Endgame event for One Piece. 
Seeing all these pirates come together for this festival but then knowing that the organizer behind this thing has some sort of plot to unleash this legendary pirate to go about and mess up people and all that sort of stuff, it was crazy. And just seeing the way in which the action was done, the character interactions were great, uh, the art direction was really solid and the humor was so good and the amount of references and characters that show up, oh, I was in heaven. It was one of my favorite film experiences I've ever had. Everybody that was watching the film was on the same page about how fun and great the film was. It was just a thrill ride, a roller coaster of super epic times. It was some good stuff. So if you haven't seen it, I implore you to go back and give One Piece Stampede a watch. It's so good. And then we have number two, which for the longest time was my number one, and that is Avengers Endgame. Now. I know for some people Avengers Endgame was a little disappointing, some people weren't happy with some of the plot details or way in which some of the character stuff was handled, and while there are certain nitpicks that you can, you know, pull apart if you really want to, there's certain story elements that don't hold up as well, or if you're talking about some of the time travel aspects of the film, you're just like, but if you did this this way, how can you do it this way? There's certain things that contradict if you think about it too much, but just as a cap on the last... 10 years of superhero shenanigans in the MCU and wrapping up a good number of those uh, plot lines in all those several different movies. It was really fun. I enjoyed the character interaction between some of these people and seeing some of these uh, plot lines finally come to an end. Robert Downey Jr. obviously has been my boy for many, many years now. He was great. So was Chris Evans. Really enjoyed seeing you know Scarlett Johansson again. And uh, yeah, there was just some really fun stuff done with uh, some of the action sequences. The final action sequence in the film was obviously one of the most hyped things ever and you know obviously it's now shown up in so many gifs and videos online. I think I've seen the film like twice since it came out and it's still so fun to see some of these crazy action sequences and all these characters get to do bits. The fan service in this film was hardcore but it was done really well. The film score from Alan Silvestri was really good and yeah I just had so much fun with it. Alright, my number one film for 2019 happens to be Parasite. Now, there was a lot of people talking about Parasite via, like, you know, was it the uh, film festival circuit? And normally, when there's a film like that, it normally just ends up being some overhyped BS because, don't get me wrong, some films that come out of the film festival circuit normally do live up to the hype and they can be pretty good. But in some cases, some of these films are just, you know, just pretentious BS. But this one. I believe the hype because it was so fun and unique and just as opposed to some of the other films that I end up watching on numerous occasions this one just had a very different kind of tone which was able to switch between being something serious something funny and sometimes pretty horrific and just like what the hell is going on the interesting premise of like you know having this sort of poor family who are living in a pretty crappy situation and one of them ha ends up getting to be a tutor for this really rich family and then how they strategically all work their way into the house being various different like you know helpers for the family but also being different individuals it's a very crafty smart and well done film and just as it progresses when you think you know where it's going it just starts to get crazier and just by the end of the movie I'm just like well damn I did not expect this film to go down this way at all, but it was some very impressive stuff. The music for the film was really, really good. The acting from everybody was inv involved was just really good. And 
after seeing Okja, I think was it back in 2017, I wasn't sure this director was going to be able to present something to me that was so unique and something that I'd like even more than that, but this film was just incredible. I just found myself completely hooked and I really want to just say, if you haven't seen the film, give it a watch. And yeah, that's my list ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you found it like nice and varied, possibly unexpected. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going on in 2020. There's only a handful of films in 2020 which I'm really excited to see, but as per happens each year, there's always some sort of new stuff that presents its head toward the latter side of the year where I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was coming out this year. Let me put that on the list. So here's hoping that 2020 presents even more fun and interesting films to watch. So thank you for listening to my podcast about my top 10 films of 2019. And we'll be back with my most anticipated films for 2020 and some new film reviews. So, yeah, look forward to those when they show up. And, yeah, as per usual, check us out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Check out the Facebook page. And you can also find me on Twitter where I'm at Hypersonic55 or at FilmFocus55 or at the email address thehypersonic 55 at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hypersonic55 signing out. Peace. Thank you.